You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Welcome to Embassy Church. Like Bree said, my name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and again, if you're here for the first time, super glad you're here. And don't miss the Next, Step, Next Steps booth in the back. Um, we'd love to get to know you. Love to help you move beyond rows um, to whatever's next, if that's what we call our, our horseshoes, which are city groups, or you just want to get coffee with a staffer, um, go ahead and scan that code. Um, and definitely, if you have become a believer, um, in the last couple months, maybe you've been coming to embassy, maybe you've been in a city group and you're hearing the gospel and you're going, man, I, I believe this. And you confess Christ and you believe, but you haven't been baptized, Sunday's for you. Um, we, we do baptisms here about three times a year. Um, and so uh, we'd love to invite you to go public with your faith in Jesus to say, I'm with that guy, right? Where you unite with him in his death so you can be united with him in his resurrection and his new life. Um, but uh, we'd love to sit down with you before you do that. And so you can also scan the Next Steps card uh, and uh, smash that button for baptisms, and uh, we'll get with you, and we'll open up the scriptures, and we'll, um, we'll see what the New Testament has to say about baptism and why we do it as Christians and, and whether or not that's your best next step. Um, and then I would give another nod um, and just reiteration to what Sunday will be. April 17th, mark your calendars. Um, we we want to not kind of, we want to make sure that we put the focus in the right place, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's our hope as Christians, right? Good Friday is not good unless Easter Sunday there's an empty tomb, amen, right? Um, when I say amen, you, you should say amen back, right? We're going to have a little, a little dialogue here. I, I like a little talk back, okay? Um, but... Um, I, I do also want us to celebrate what God has done in the life of this church, Embassy Church, in the last year. And so kind of the, the main kind of focus of Sunday morning, what's going to happen inside these four walls will be, man, what's got, what God is doing building his church through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we will have some time just to really celebrate. And so bring an extra change of clothes, bring a picnic blanket. We'll have food trucks, stuff like that. But plan to stay beyond 1130 and have some fun and, and really uh, celebrate uh, as an uh, embassy community. All right, so um, this morning, what we're going to be talking about is freedom, freedom. Um, the greatest movie of all time, uh, whether or not you have realized it yet, is the movie Braveheart um, by Mel Gibson. Um, and the reason I love this movie, and subjectively I think it's the greatest movie, and objectively it is the greatest movie, um, is because this theme of freedom is just woven all throughout it. Um, it, it there's, just, there's this idea of, man, we're not going to be overcome by tyranny. And so I think not just me, but, but as Americans, this movie resonated with us because it's about a Scotsman, William Wallace, um, and him just kind of throwing off the yoke of English tyranny. Um, the reason it resonates with us as Americans is because it's, it's almost like he's George Washington, right? It, it's kind of in our DNA as Americans, like freedom, right? We, we love freedom. And so we're going to be talking about freedom, not in a political sense uh, today, but, but in a gospel sense, in a Christian sense. But freedom is something that we... We all yearn for, we all long for, we, we, we all have a, a, a leaning towards, but if we're honest, we don't really fully know how to relate to it, okay? Um, this could kind of show itself, maybe you can think back to, to use the Rascal Flatts flat phrase, uh, fast cars and freedom. Think back to like being 16 and, and getting your driver's license and, right, for whatever reason, they don't let you smile and show your teeth, so you have that awkward like photo where you're like, eh, you know? And it's just terrible, and everybody at school's like, hey, let me see, and you're like, no thanks, you know? 
but you just put it in your wallet, at least I did when I was 16, and I had that and like a punch card to Smoothie King, but this huge wallet with only like two cards. Um, but I, I wasn't pumped about my ID. I was pumped about, about the freedom that it afforded me as I got to take my mom's Suburban and, and pile my buddies in, and we would just kind of, we could go farther than our BMX bikes would take us years before, okay? Um, and, and there was freedom there. Now, the problem with that is... Um, I didn't know how to handle the freedom, okay? So maybe you have stories like this, but, but I wrecked my first car, you know? That's why parents give dinkers for first cars to their kids because after a couple of months, you think like, I'm really good at driving and everyone on the road is terrible, right? Because you're, you're all bad drivers. And then you're like, hey, I wonder how fast this thing goes. And you just try and top it out on one like solitary country road and you're going like 120 and you're like, this is dumb. But I'm trying it anyway. And hopefully the, the control of your freedom is the governor on the engine. Um, but for some of you, that, that wasn't the control. The control was losing control. And you have a wrecked car um, because of it, right? Um, but, but freedom, when you thought you had a handle on it, actually had a handle on you. When you thought you controlled it, it actually controlled you. And, and a wrecked car was a picture of that. Now, now what we're going to talk about here is Christian, Christian freedom, uh, but in the same sense. Um, freedom's this kind of fragile thing that when we think we, we actually have a handle on it, um, it, it actually has a handle on us if we're not careful. So we really need to understand it. We need to understand how the Bible talks about freedom because freedom uh, is what God created us for in, in a lot of ways. Right? God created us out of love in the beginning in the garden to love him. And love requires freedom. But the reality is we lost control of our freedom in the garden. Satan whispered in our forefathers' ears that we should use our freedom this way to eat the fruit that we were told not to eat. And before we knew it, the freedom we thought we had a hold of had a hold of us. Okay, and so in a way, the gospel is about God's restoration of our freedom, true freedom. Like what does it mean to be really free as a human being? Not to be autonomous, because there's no such thing as an autonomous human being. We're, we're created. But, to, but to, to be truly free, free to actually love God and love people. What does that look like? So that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bible, you can turn the book of Galatians, chapter 5. This is where we've been since the start of the year looking at a sermon series that we've titled The Gospel Period. So if you have your Bible or you have a Bible app, um, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, uh, table of contents uh, gives good directions. Don't be shy about stopping by there. Um, but, but we have a lot to get into, so I want to I jump in pretty quickly because Paul makes some pretty bold statements about freedom, Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'll start out with verse 1, and we're going to go all the way down through 15, but I'm going to give us some road signs about, about where we're going, okay? This is what Paul says to this um, collection of churches in the region of Galatia, you know, this, these church plants, kind of like embassy church, if you will. He says this, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free, okay? So this is a profound statement by the Apostle Paul calling attention to the most basic reality about the gospel, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, that we were enslaved to sin, okay, but not just sin, as we'll see, um, and Christ set us free. And so, so he's just calling attention to the fact that we're free for freedom's sake. And he's calling attention to this fact because these Galatian Christians are in danger of losing their freedom. They're in danger of becoming enslaved all over again. They think they have a handle on their freedom, but what they don't realize is their freedom now has a hold on them, and it's actually going to enslave them. So look at the back end of verse 1. He gives this 
this call. He says, stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Okay? So this is where we're going in the passage. Um, we need to talk about Christian freedom or, or gospel freedom in really three ways. Uh, first, the vulnerability of it. Okay? Uh, the vulnerability of gospel freedom. Why is gospel freedom so fragile? Because it is. Okay? Freedom is fragile. All right, and, and we see this in political senses. We see the, 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 the battle going on between Ukraine and Russia. That you, you have to fight for it. When you think you have it, before you don't know it, it's under threat. So freedom's fragile in, in all senses, but, but even in the senses we're talking about spiritually. Um, and so we're going to talk about the vulnerability of Christian freedom, okay? Um, but then I want to talk about the buttress of Christian freedom, like the supports it needs to hold itself up, Okay. Um, so that'll be the kind of second movement of where we're going. What gospel freedom actually needs to flourish, okay? Why is it so fragile? What it actually needs to flourish? And then lastly, the purpose of, of gospel freedom, okay? Why does God make us free? How, or, or why has God designed the gospel such to almost reclaim our freedom? How does the gospel freedom um, exercise itself not just to free us from something, but for someone or someone's, okay? So that's where we're going. But I want to start out um, in verse 2 uh, and, and kind of read through for us, okay? So why is gospel freedom so fragile? This is what the Apostle Paul says to these Galatian Christians that I think is super applicable for us today. He says, take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You, are, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Now I'm going to unpack this, but at first I want to talk about two ways that we're enslaved. Okay. There's two ways to actually be enslaved. And, and I didn't get this for the longest time growing up in the church. And I've shared kind of bits and pieces of my story uh, as, as I preach different sermons with you guys. But what I really understood um, is, is the obvious way to be enslaved, to be yoked to sin. Okay? To be yoked to, to fleshly passions, to earthly desires. Okay? And so we need to understand enslavement to understand freedom, but there's really actually two ways to be enslaved. And we looked at this as we've looked at the, the book of Galatians, but this passage brings it into focus. Uh, John 8, Jesus says it this way. He says, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay? Basically, what we obey, we're enslaved to. Okay? Um, you can think of it this way. Uh, a lot of times we we, we coddle our sin, right? It, it's like a little like, cute pet tiger, you know? We, we feed it, we pet it, and it's just like, man, when this thing grows up, it's just going to wreck shop on my side, right? Like, we're just going to be a dynamic duo, but like, I, I can handle this. I got a hold on this. But, but as we feed our sin, um, before we realize it, it, it's grown up to a quarter ton large animal that we have by the tail that has teeth on the other side. Right, so I, I, I'm sure if you're a human being, you've had this experience where sin, where you've insisted on, on indulging in certain lustly, lustful passions or fleshly desires, and you think you got a hold on it, and before you know it, they have a hold on you. Right, you insist on the right to stay frustrated and angry with somebody, and you rehearse the narrative over and over again, and before you know it, you're just shouting out with bursts of anger and frustration, and it just like is not even in proportion to what's going on. 
right? Or the person shows up and they, they say something and you just lose your mind. And what's going on? It's like, well, I'm insisting on my right to hold you and judge you and keep you in a kind of a place of condemnation. And man, before I knew it, that thing actually had a hold on me, okay? And your flesh is, is, is worn against you. It's enslaving you. It's shackling you, right? Or you insist on your, your freedom and indulge, indulge in, in lustful passions, right? And it, it's right because we love each other and we're just going to enjoy each other. And I don't care how God says this, this should be played out. This just feels good. And so you just go the whole hedonism like I'm going to indulge in pleasure. And before you know it, it actually has a hold on you, right? And you're spending your money and your time and your energy on this lustful desire, all right, or this object of your lustful desire. But before you know it, um, you're a slave to sin. We get that, right? I think that's a little more obvious for us, right? But what the Apostle Paul is talking about here to these Galatian Christians is a more subtle way to be enslaved. Not an enslaved, not being enslaved to sin, but actually being enslaved to religious performance. Actually being enslaved to the law, okay? There's two ways to be enslaved, there's two yokes that are burdensome and life-stealing, okay? And what he's warning these Galatian Christians from is Christ freed you from the yoke of sin, which you know stole your life. It overpromised and underdelivered, but now you're going to the other ditch and you're putting your head in the yoke of religious performance. You're trying to fulfill the law and you've fallen from grace. He's picked you up out of your muck and your mire and instead of standing with him, you've fallen from grace because you're putting your confidence in your religious performance. Okay? Are y'all tracking with me? Two ways to be enslaved. Not just fleshly passions and religious performance, okay? Um, But, um, excuse me, not just fleshly passions, but also religious performance. And this is subtle, okay? And this is, again, what we've looked at time and time again in the book of Galatians because there's this beautiful recurrence in the book. And it might be exacerbating for you. You're like, golly, Critter, I wish you'd get some other, like, systematic topical things. Like, you've been talking about the gospel since January. It's like, yes, and if you keep coming back to the embassy, we'll talk about it every week because you can never get away from it, right? It's this diamond that we got to look at and just see different facets of. But, but. Paul is warning them, he's imploring with them um, and challenging them to see the other ditch they're falling into. And insisting on their freedom, they're actually going to religion. And religion is going to enslave them. Because they don't have any security that Christ has performed on their behalf. They're putting their security in their own performance before God. Now, Acts 15 gives us this summary, and, and I'm just drawing attention. If you're new and you've only been coming for a couple weeks um, and you're jotting notes down, Acts 15 is going to give you context for the book of Galatians. Okay, this is the kind of bigger argument that's going on um, in this time period. Um, and it's not necessarily directly tied to Galatians, but it will give you a, an idea of what Paul's fighting here. Okay, which is um, how do I reconcile... Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians over this issue of the law, okay? Um, So let me read for us real quick, but this is Acts 15. Paul, Barnabas, they they go to the apostles and the elders in the church in Jerusalem. They're going, man, we got to settle this because we're preaching the gospel in the Greek world, the Gentile world. We're preaching the gospel that, that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that can't be earned. That can just be received. And so, man, like God... I mean, Paul starts preaching this gospel and and Gentiles start coming to faith and and churches start to be formed and they're formed of of Jewish background Christians and Gentile background Christians. But the big question is, so what about the law? How does that fit? 
okay? And so Paul travels to Jerusalem to kind of meet with the minds that be and go, how do we, how do we make sense of this? And Acts 15.4 reads it this way. Paul says, when I arrived at Jerusalem, we were welcomed, or Luke says this about Paul, uh, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and elders, and they reported all that God had done with them, all this, this preaching the gospel, all this evangelism and discipleship in the Gentile world. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, okay, these Jewish religious professionals, they stood up and they said, it is necessary to be circumcised or to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses, okay? So at its core, this is what Paul's fighting, which is like, okay, I'm saying that you're saved by grace through faith, okay? And these religious teachers... These Christians, so-called, these false teachers who come from the part of the Pharisees is saying, you're saved by grace through faith plus keeping the law. And it's not gospel period, it's gospel plus, and they're tacking things onto it. Okay? This is, this is the, 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 the war, the battle, the argument that's going on in all of Galatians. Okay? And, and this is what Paul's trying to get these Christians and us today to understand. That if we're not standing in the gospel of freedom of what Christ has done for us, we can actually fall into a different kind of enslavement, a enslavement of religious performance, okay? So Tim Keller writes it this way uh, in one of his commentaries talking about um, this dynamic. He says, under circumcision, the Galatians will experience once again the anxiety, guilt, and burden life they knew before as pagans. And when you hear pagans, I don't want you to think irreligious. Actually, I want you to think super religious. Now, pagans doesn't mean irreligious, it means super religious. Religious performance, they're going to temple, they're making sacrifices, doing everything they do, okay? But they're going to experience the anxiety, guilt, and burden they knew before as pagans. They, they'll, they will never be sure that they're good enough. Their lives will be as fear-based and proud and guilt-ridden as they were before. In fact, probably more so. They will fall into touchiness, insecurity, pride, discouragement, and weariness of people who are never sure that they have worth, never sure that they have righteousness. Now, like, what a description, right, of religiosity. This is what religiosity does. It, it leaves you in insecurity of your standing before God. That's what drives religion. I'm not secure of my worth, of my righteousness, of my value before God, and so I need to perform to make sure he takes pleasure in me. This is antithetical to the gospel, right? The gospel comes in and says, God has performed on our behalf through Christ. We could never uphold the law. So Christ upheld the law for us. He lived the perfect life and only by grace through faith can we be united to him. And his righteousness can actually be accredited to our account. He took our sin, gave us his righteousness. Do you see how the gospel actually brings incredible freedom there? That if you don't get that, it's really easy to be tempted to go back into religious performance because religion makes things super simple in a lot of ways, black and white. Do this, don't do this. And freedom is somewhat unnerving, right? It, 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 it's, it's, it's hard to sit in it at times. Sometimes you go, man, can it be that simple? You know? So Paul's going to add circumcision is to lose Christ. If you seek to be upheld by the law, you will fall from grace. Now, if I go back to this John 8 passage, 
um, of Jesus making this really powerful statement of everyone who commits a slave, or excuse me, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He goes on to say this. This is John 8, 35 through 36. He says, a slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you will really be free. Here's the idea, okay. The idea is what or who are you yoked to? What or who are you yoked to? Are you yoked to the law and are you trying to perform religiously before God because you're not assured of your worth before him? Or are you yoked to the one who perfectly fulfilled the law? This is why Jesus says the famous statement in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you yes and rest. And then what he says is take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, Paul is stern here with these Galatian Christians and for us it needs to be a stern warning. If you are a Christian and you have been freed from the yoke of sin, be careful that you're not after that putting on the yoke of self-salvation. Remember the gospel, stand firm in the freedom of the gospel that you are free because Christ sets you free. And yoke yourself to him because his burden is light. His burden is easy. This is, again, what, what, what Paul is, is, or Luke is tying all together in Acts 15 because Peter gets up and, and makes the argument, guys, <laughs> let's not put on the Gentiles what our forefathers and we ourselves couldn't handle, the yoke that we couldn't bear, that same language there. You, you know what a yoke is, right? It's like think of two oxen and a yoke is what keeps them teamed together. And so, man, if the law is... is putting its head through one of those holes and you're putting your head through another one, it is going to drag you down. But if it's the law fulfiller, if it's Christ the champion, man, that yoke is easy. That burden is light. He'll help you pull, right? You're kind of just going along. You look back, you see all the, the, the rows just in straight lines, right? And you're like, look what we did. You didn't do anything, right? You just tied yourself to the champion, the beast. Gospel freedom's fragile. You got to make sure you don't fall in the other ditch. Now, that's the main chunk of where I want to go, but I want to look at two other pieces um, that help us understand gospel freedom a, a little more. What's the buttress of gospel freedom? Okay, what's the buttress? Do you know what buttress is? The, the support, right? This is why we, we made the 8 to 10 year olds leave because he said, but. No, the, 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 the supports of gospel freedom. Look at this next chunk, okay? What does gospel freedom need to flourish? This is what Galatians 7 says. You were running well. Who, re who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. This isn't coming from Christ. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. Strong words, right? He's playing on the circumcision idea, okay? And I don't have to elaborate. But Paul is, is, 
is stern about what's happening here. But I want to flip the passage for us a little bit and not talk about the things that necessarily tear down gospel freedom, but what you actually need as a Christian to hold it up for you. Okay? So three things, all right? You need leaders that preach gospel truth. Okay? You need leaders that preach gospel truth because what you have in here is leaders that aren't. Leaders that are saying it's about your performance, not just Christ. It's gospel plus, okay, and they're not putting the law in right relationship. They're seeing it as a part of your justification or their justification. So you need leaders that preach the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters or a church community that will provide a plausibility structure for gospel truth, okay. So you need leaders, you need a church, and then ultimately you need a fence, Okay. You need a fence that reminds you that the gospel truth is not your truth. Okay, and let me break those down a little bit for us because these are all really important. Notice the, the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses here for these false teachers. What does he say? The false teachers and the ones spreading the, 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 the false teaching, the misinformation, he calls it leaven. Okay, you, you know what leaven is? You get the idea for like yeast. Anybody bake in here? We got a few bakers. One, Suzanne. Um, oh, we got a few more. Um, anybody watch Briz Baking Show? Right? We don't do anything anymore as Americans, but we we just binge shows, and so we're like, yeah, yeah I know baking, right? It's, I've never baked a thing in my life. Okay, right? Good bake, right? You get a handshake from Paul. Okay, but but we get the idea. Eleven is like yeast, right? But it's 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 what's in the dough that's going to make it rise over time. It spreads throughout it. Okay. It's almost like, like, a, like a, a virus, if you will. Um, and and the, the misinformation is spreading through this community because these false teachers. The same imagery the Apostle Paul actually uses with a different church in the New Testament. He uses it with the Corinthian church. But in that instance, he calls the leaven not religious performance, but fleshly passions. Okay, because he's calling out... Not just their okayness, if that's a word, um, but they're even applaud of the sin going on in their church community. Where there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom and they're like, hey, good job, man. Right? And Paul's calling it out going, are you kidding me? One, that's wicked. And two, that's dangerous because that stuff spreads. And so you give a green light to that kind of sin in your community and then, man, it takes over. And so Paul's using the same imagery to talk about just the leaven of religious performance. It's just as dangerous. Okay, so you need to buttress your gospel freedom to, to really help it flourish. You need to put yourself around teachers that are going to preach the gospel. It's too easy to step into a, a community and not understand the nuanced difference between just moralism, just try harder, do more, it's all on your shoulders, and Christ has done it all. Right? Who gets exalted in the end? Is it God keeping his promises and Christ's perfect performance? Or is it you or me? Right? But you need to be able to nuance the difference, understand the difference, and put yourselves around teachers that are preaching gospel truth. So that's number one. Number two, you need brothers and sisters that provide a plausibility structure for the gospel. What do I mean? Plausibility structure. There's a reason that uh, we moved here to plant a church. Um, there's a reason that before planting the church, we tried to build out a launch team and not just plant a seed, but plant a seedling. We wanted to build the church and transplant it to Bloomington from day one. 
We wanted to create a plausibility structure for those of you that were in Bloomington that when you came into this community, you go, wow, okay. Yeah, this is true and I can believe this. Because we're herd animals as people, right? So there's something, and this isn't just for Christian. Atheists have their clubs too, right? Like, but, but human beings need plausibility structures because we're insecure. We're like, man, is this true? Do I really believe this? And you look around and you go, man, there's 150 other people in this room that are, that are reinforcing what I know to be true. And, and you need that. It creates a plausibility structure for you. And so the church is, is necessary. And that's why we don't want to just keep you guys in rows. We want to help you all move into the family. Okay? We don't want you just to be attenders of an event. We want to connect you in relationship with other people who remind themselves of the gospel and can remind you of the gospel. Okay? So you need, you need that for gospel freedom to flourish and to not fall in the other ditch. And then lastly, um, don't miss what he says, what, what the verse, um, verse 11 says. That you need the offense that reminds you of gospel truth and that it's not your truth. Um, this is a horrible kind of... I don't even know what you call it, a, a horrible byproduct of, of our postmodern kind of thought. Um, but, but the minute you put your in front of truth and you modify it like that, it ceases to become truth. And, and we have to hold on to that, right? That, that your truth is oxymoronic, okay? It, it's silly, right? Truth can't be your truth, all right? Because truth is what corresponds to reality and reality doesn't revolve around what you think or how you perceive it, all right? You're, that's very vain, if that's how you, how you see things, okay? Um, and, and so what Paul's saying is, man, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? What he's saying is there's an inherent offense to the cross. There's an inherent offense to the gospel message that you can't fix yourself up, you can't clean yourself up, that not only are you broken and messy and sinful, but you can't do anything about it, Okay? Now, the gospel message doesn't stay there. It says God did something about it. Amen. That's when you, some, you come back. Come on. Amen. All right. God did something about it. We should have lived to die the death. We should have died. And through faith, we can be united to him. That his righteousness can be accredited to our account. That's, that's just sheer grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can just say thank you for it. Okay. But there's an inherent offense to the gospel message. What Paul's saying is, Look, these false teachers, there's a reason they're not being persecuted and I am. Because the message I'm preaching is inherently offensive. And that is validating the truth of Paul's message. It's going, in a lot of ways, that's why you're trying to move away from it, Galatian Christians. And so, like, what, what, what do we need to buttress Christian freedom? Man, we need, we need teachers that are preaching Christian freedom, gospel freedom, right? We, we need brothers and sisters that are, that are reinforcing it and living it out. But, but we almost need to, pe to feel the offense of the gospel. Okay, I I'm not saying just because you're offensive, you're preaching the gospel, right? Because you can add extra offense to the gospel. You can add religious, you know, undertones to it. You can add, you know, cultural undertones to it that can add other offenses. But if the gospel message you're preaching doesn't have any offense, you're not preaching the gospel. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense... I'll think about how I said that, and, and I'll say it another way, but there's inherent offensiveness to the idea. It offends our sense of just self-ability uh, to fix ourselves up. It makes us dependent and needy in need of a Savior, and that's a beautiful thing. All right, last piece. 
the purpose of Christian freedom. And this is where it comes full circle, and I want to tie it all together. How does, the, how does gospel freedom not just free us from something but for someone? All right. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says this. It says, you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Right, this is where freedom comes full circle. And, and what, what the Apostle Paul is writing to these Galatian Christians and what he would say to us is, use your freedom but don't abuse your freedom. And this is why most people fall into that religious ditch because freedom gets a little scary, Okay. It's like you're going 120 miles an hour and it freaks you out. And so, man, you, you don't even go the speed limit after that, right? You're just going about 35 in a 70, okay, which is dangerous too. But freedom can freak us out because we can, we can abuse it. We can lean into licentiousness. And Paul's going, that's not it either, okay. Um, we've been freed by love so that we can love, Okay. We're actually freed to love, right? This is the, the roundabout love of God. Like there's something that, that Paul's doing in his argument here, which is going, these false teachers are trying to get you to obey the law, but if you actually believe the gospel, you'll actually obey the law, okay? Because you'll actually obey the law out of love. Do you see how this ties together? Um, <clears throat> love, let me say it this way, love is, love is selfless. Okay, there's, there's a self-giving aspect to love. The religious person struggles to love God and love others because there's radical insecurity deep down in their heart. Right? Um, <clears throat> you're working for love. You're not working out of it. This is where the gospel comes in and transforms because the gospel comes in and says, I love you. Being God. And not because you're lovable, because you're far from it. Again, you're broken, you're messy, you're dirty, you're, you're all those things. You fall short of your standard for your life, you definitely fall short of mine. But I love you because I'm loving and I show you such that I gave my son's life for you. When that seeps deep down in the heart of a person, they are loved. They are beloved and it's transforming. And so their relationship with God radically changes. They, they don't spend their days trying to earn God's love and insecurity and fear. But they are, they are empowered to love God for who he is, for being loving, and then actually love people around them. Don't you see how, how transformative and radical that idea is? How it comes in and, and changes everything. This is a, a roundabout way of, of God actually causing us to live up to the standard of his law. Because he comes in and says, I love you. We're freed by love. We're freed to be loved. And we're free to love. John Stott, or, or not John Stott, Tim Keller writes it this way. Selfishness and insecurity cannot produce love. Because love is joyful self-giving. You tracking with that? Love is joyful self-giving. So, so how? How, if you're trying to rely on your performance, can you be a loving person? You can't. You got the equation flipped, okay? So <clears throat> I want to close with this idea. Um, okay, 
let me do this. Um, I'm looking at our time. The gospel accomplishes what, what religion can't. Okay? The gospel accomplishes what religion can't. I'm going to make a broad statement here, but um, the problem with religion is actually the religious. All right? The problem with religion, just track with me here, it, it's, it's, it's the religious, it's the person. Like we're more bo- broken than, than we want to admit. Right? Because, because even if the religion's right, and not all religions are, that's not what I'm saying, like you can't meet the standard. Again, like we all even have our own kind of innate standard and we let ourselves down. Like when you stare at the law of God, it, it will crush you. Which is why most people don't, don't do it. They don't open this thing up because it's terrifying. Which is why you can't just stay with the law, you got to get to the gospel, okay? If you're trying to perform for God, to make God love you, then you actually don't Love God. You're using God. You don't want God. You want what God can give you. You want his blessings. Like we know this innately. Like what do you want as a college student? You want to meet somebody and then to just love you for who you are. To know you, to see you, right? And they just love me because they love me. And that's the highest love. You don't want to hear like I love you because, man, you're going to kind of up my popularity you know, Mark, and you're going to give me a few more follows on social media. Like that, you don't really want me. You want the follows, right? Or you, you, you love me because I, I, I've made it and I got some money in my pocket. You don't really love me. You love my money. We do the same thing with God if we approach him this, with this religious paradigm. We don't love God. We, we, we actually, if we're honest, we love ourselves. It's selfish, not selfless. It's selfish, not self-giving. Don't you see how the gospel comes in and reworks that in our heart? Rewires the selfishness and the innate kind of like inward focus of the human heart? That God starts with love even though we're not lovable. He loves us. And love people love people. And that empowers us to love God from a pure heart. And love one another. Love our neighbors. Because then the Christian goes... Man, I can't not treat my neighbor this way if God treats me this way. I can't hold a grudge against my neighbor and not extend forgiveness and then go to God and be like, thank you for your forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. Right? And that, that wrecks a person. That, that radically transforms a person in the best of ways. This is what God's doing in the gospel. This is what, what, what Jesus is highlighting in his parable of, of the two sons. You know the parable of the two sons, parable of the prodigal son? It's actually about two sons. There's a rebellious son and a religious son. There's a son that runs away and a son that stays close. Both sons love themselves. The son that runs away, the rebellious son, loves himself, not his father. He wants his father's stuff, not his father. He takes his father's stuff, says, I wish you were dead. Just give me my inheritance. I'm gone. But the religious son Loves himself, not his father as well. Because the religious son gets super offended when the rebellious son comes back and gets a ring and a robe. What Jesus is saying is there's, there's two ways to be enslaved. It's what Paul's saying to these Galatian Christians. He's pointing out the, the, the reality of the human heart and, and just the punch of it is it's the rebellious son in his repentance that, that actually comes back and dines with his father in the end of that parable. The religious son doesn't feast with his father. 
You get that? The whole parable is actually not built around being licentious. It's built around being legalistic. It's, it's built around being yoked to the law and self-salvation. And Paul, to these Galatian Christians and to us today, would say, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't submit to the yoke of slavery. So I want to end with this idea. What does it look like to live out gospel freedom? What is that picture for you? What areas of self-salvation are you tempted towards to put your confidence in, your hope in? Where, where in your heart of hearts is there just deep insecurity and you're standing before God? And what I want you to hear this morning is the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. The good news that though you're more wicked than you dare to imagine, you're more loved than you dare to dream, and that you would just believe it more and more. If you're a Christian in here, stand firm in grace. And if you're not a Christian in here, if you're a friend, if you're asking questions, if you're, if you're just a seeker or a skeptic, man, I, I, I hope you ponder the reality of what God's done to actually cause us to love him and love others from a pure heart. What actually brings that about? No religion I know. Religion can do some good things, but from pure motives, nobody gets to the heart of the issue deeper than Jesus does in the red letters. And he challenges what it is that's moving us to love God and love people. And if it's not out of a place of being loved, you'll never fully love people. It's got to come from, sing, from something, and it's got to come so that you can love someone, and that's God himself. So let me pray for us. We can close out, and we can sing songs that, that give glory to the God that gave us everything. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for a beautiful Sunday, and we thank you for this word. We thank you for gospel freedom, that we can stand secure and confident before you, not in ourselves, but in Christ. It doesn't leave us to any arrogance or pride in our own performance. It's all in him so that you get full glory. We thank you that you've given us everything we need in the gospel so that we can actually fulfill the law and honor you. We don't do away with the law. It's fulfilled in Christ. And because it reflects your moral character, we want to live it out. But we want to live it out out of your empowerment. Not to earn things from you, but to just to make you smile. Because we see you as a good father. And so I pray that that reality would just continue to transform our hearts. It would continue to change us from the inside out. And we'd be a people that love our neighbors as ourselves, that, that wouldn't just be words on a page. That would be a radical reality of the embassy family in this city and on that campus. And when we fall short of that, would you help us to repent in the deep security of the gospel and to do better next time? We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things in his authority. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.